Wow, that's powerful, huh? Amen. Go ahead, give the Lord a hand this morning. We are at the beginning of what many in the church call Holy Week, and today we get to celebrate Palm Sunday, and this video here just took us all the way through uh, till next Sunday, of course, but how powerful of a story is it that um, we're going to see here in just a few moments at the beginning today on, on Palm Sunday as Jesus was coming into town, everyone was shouting, Hosanna, 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 but then what a horrible it turn it took. Um, I say horrible, it was with what the people did and how they did not recognize who Jesus was, but ultimately that was for our salvation. So praise God for that. So um, we're going to keep going here with our, our uh, series. We have one more week after today with the Easter experience, and we're going to be talking about those who did accept Jesus. Um, we've been coming from the, the perspective of this, that we're trying as best we can to see how Jesus saw when he was upon the cross. And we've talked about how beautiful Melody and Gail, you know, how, what a beautiful representation that this is. He is risen. Uh, but before it got to the point of he is risen, the cross was a bloody, brutal, horrible, gross re representation of what happened. It was, it was not a beautiful picture, so to speak. Now, we know, obviously, in the light of eternity and what it did for our salvation, it was a beautiful thing there. But we're trying to picture, as Jesus looked out and saw the crowds, what did he see? We've seen the Roman soldiers. We've seen those who were close to him. And we've seen just the general population of people and how pretty much everybody just rejected Jesus. And, um, you know, the Easter story, we love Easter Sunday, right? Next week, we're going to be getting to that. We even love Palm Sunday because it's more of a celebration but, you know, the, the, the part about Easter that really solidified our salvation, began to make that happen, I should say, was on Friday when he was crucified. It was the darkest time in history. But as we just saw, Friday was there, but you've heard the thing, Sunday was on the way. Sunday was there. And so we're seeing Jesus, all this rejection that's happening. But today what I want to look at is there were a few people who accepted Jesus um, along the way. Not everybody rejected Jesus when he was on his way to the cross or ran from him or, or was scared. So what I want to do is have you uh, open up to Mark chapter 11, and we're going to read the story of the triumphant entry when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, and we're going to ask the question, what will you do with Jesus? Now, our memory verse today is going to come right in the middle of this, so uh, let's say this together right now, Mark 11, 9. We'll say the memory verse, and of course, we'll get to it here again in just a moment, but Mark 11, 9, read with me. It says, Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, if you learn this like I did in King James Version or New King James Version, it was Hosanna. And we'll, we'll see what that word means here in just a little bit, uh, get a little bit more depth to that. But um, I'm going to start here in, in verse 1 of chapter 11, and we'll, um, we'll go through verse 10. It says, As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tie, um, tied outside of the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? 
They said what Jesus had told them to say. They were permitted to take it. Sounds like a whole lot of God was going before that to let these people know, hey, these guys are going to come take your donkey, by the way, your little your colt. So anyway, they let it happen. Verse 7, then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and the others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Praise God in highest heaven! What an amazing picture this parade, this procession must have been as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. All these people had heard about the miracles. Some of them had seen the miracles. They are beginning to accept the fact that He is the Messiah, and they're happy about it. You know, I mean, you can just see the celebration. You can sense it. You can uh, almost picture it, I guess, to a degree, even what, with what the video was showing. Um, just a little bit of, of, of what was happening. But you'll notice that many and the crowd spread their garments on the road for Jesus, and the others spread leafy, leafy branches. So this was not just a few people who were doing this. Uh, and again, it's before the acts of the crucifixion began to happen. It was before they realized, wait a minute, this thing's turning south real quick. Many people uh, were laying down their garments and leafy branches for Jesus. So Jesus was in the center of the procession, and people were all around him shouting. And when, when we were just talking about praise God, that word Hosanna means save now. They knew that the time of the Messiah was here. They knew that Jesus, the, they knew that the Messiah was there to save them from their sins. And so they're beginning to get a, a grasp of what's happening, happening to them and what's happening in history. Bless on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Did you see that? They think, okay, this is it. This is the Messiah long before anybody began to reject him leading up to uh, the, week, the, the, the days ahead that were coming. Matthew records it this way. If you're taking notes, you can just write it down. Matthew 21.10, it says, The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked, and the crowds replied. It is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. See, many people acknowledge Jesus as Messiah and as a prophet. Now, even the people who may not have acknowledged him as a Messiah at that point, or the Messiah at that point, at least acknowledged that he was a prophet. There was great understanding of what was happening, so they thought. But as we've discussed over the past few weeks, not everybody stayed true to that commitment. Jesus even told a parable about that. The gospel will come, and then the cares of this life will come up, and it will choke out that word. But not everyone stayed true to their commitment. Everyone in the crowd was faced with a choice to accept or reject Jesus as um, the time was coming close to him for him to be betrayed, for him to be taken into custody, and for him to be crucified. As the events unfolded that week, many of those who celebrated Jesus eventually rejected him. And we've talked about that over the last few weeks. But today... We're going to turn our attention to those who accepted him. But before we get to that, I have something, um, and it's a little game we're going to play, and I want you to follow along with me, okay? Actually, you're going to answer. You're going to shout out either accept or reject. I'm going to give you a couple of things that um, over time, uh, some people call them wives' tales. Somehow they developed along the way as that. Um, but basically, I'm going to read what this is, and you tell me if, if it's true or false by saying accept or reject. So do you accept or reject this claim? 
Lifesavers candy was invented by a man whose daughter died choking on a mint. The hole in the middle allows you to breathe even if it gets stuck in your throat. I heard somebody else say except too, so you aren't the only one. I had heard this a lot growing up, but actually, that's not true. We have to reject that one. So, Kevin, you should have stayed with your first answer. That's what my teacher always taught me in school. Stick with your first answer. Um, anyway, that's what I was told as a child too, but that's not true. All right, here's another one. Now, this may sound like modern day... Uh, social news, but this is actually, for more than 30 years, for more than 30 years, the International Olympic Committee required female competitors to undergo a gender verification exam. We won't get too far into that. True or false, accept or reject. Now, this is 30 years ago. True. Yeah, we think it's just now, but 30 years ago, they were doing this as well. Now, they don't do that today, apparently, but anyway, 30 years ago, yeah, absolutely. After a few cases of men posing as women to compete in women's events, this test was introduced during 1968 in Mexico City Olympics to confirm that the participants, participants and the women's Olympic competitions were indeed female. The test only served to humiliate several female athletes who were somewhat masculine. It was, anyway, it was discontinued in 2000. So, yeah, crazy, huh? All right, here's another one. Uh, yeah, in the year 2000. I know, right? <laughs> Almost 20 years ago, Doug. You're getting old. Here's another one. Accept or reject. The combined weight of all the world's ants is equal, ants as in the little things that crawl up on the ground, um, is equal to that of all the humans on the earth. Accept. 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 Yep. What ants lack, A C C E P T. What ants lack in size, they more than make up for in sheer numbers. There are an estimated 10 trillion ants on Earth. Their combined weight is equivalent to the entire human population. That's roughly 1.6 million ants for each person. All right. I'm, let me give you one more, and then we'll. Um, I'm setting up something. Okay. 1.6 million ants for each person. Yes. That'll give you nightmares. <laughs> Swallowed chewing gum takes seven years to digest and pass through your system. Oh, this is probably the most, this one has gotten the most division. Yeah, we're going to reject that one. Even though my mom taught me this truth, upon further research, we have learned that chewing gum is largely indigestible. So it's true, it doesn't digest but it will make its way through your digestive system. So as at the same rate as anything else you will consume. Wow. Last one. I saw the last one on the last one, but this is the last one that's going to get us into our message. Jesus is the Son of God who died for the sins of the world and rose again. Yes. Except, you know, and of course we're in a church and there's a lot of believers in here, and I'm glad you said that. <laughs> But there are many people in the world who treat that as just one of the facts that I just read or untruths that I just read. You know, people will, something that we hold, that we believe, that we can even, that has been proven. Um, excuse me, I'm going to grab my water because I can tell that even with all the rain, the allergies still aren't gone. Um, even with all the proof that we have, there are people who reject this truth. 
even today. But we're going to look at a couple people today who did not reject him and, again, ask the question, what will you do with Jesus? Not just on an initial, I accept Jesus as Savior of my life, but even to the Christian, will I make him Lord of my life? So if, if you had to ask yourself, and this is just off topic here a little bit, if you had to ask yourself the question and say, accept or reject Jesus as is Lord of my life, would you be able to accept that claim by looking at your life? Or would you have to reject that claim? I know what we want. I know what I want. But you know, I'll have to tell you, there have been times where I know that the Lord is speaking to me and I've said, hmm, I don't think so. Maybe even doubted it was him talking. So what, do you, what will you do with Jesus? So let's go and look at a couple of bystanders at the cross. They were completely transformed by Jesus that day. Mark 15, 21 so if you want to flip over just a, a few pages there, we want to look at, now Jesus is now on his way to, um, to the cross, okay? And we're going to see this guy named Simon, uh, who is from Cyrene. Uh, he was a casual observer. And Mark 15, 21 tells us this. It says, a passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Uh, there's parentheses that says Cyrene was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, I, I put that in there for a specific reason, or I included that with what I'm reading to you for a specific reason. Um, but I want us to look at this for a moment. So we know that the Passover is about to happen. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. So there's a lot of people that are there, even who maybe didn't live in, in the town at that time. They were coming uh, for this celebration that was happening. And so it just so happened this guy named Simon was there. He was from uh, Cyrene. So now many Jews, including him, they, they had traveled there. They were ready for the celebration. He was in the crowd. They were watching the parade of the criminals come by carrying their crosses. And uh, Jesus was there among them. Apparently, Jesus couldn't go on carrying his cross because you'll remember we've talked about how, how horrific the beating was that he took a few weeks ago. Um, but apparently, Jesus got to the point where he could not go on because he was beaten so badly, not by carrying his cross. So the Roman soldiers seize this guy, Simon, in the crowd, and they say, you must carry his cross. They forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Now, why we included Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, I want, I want to show you something here that actually I just discovered in the study here. If you go later into Romans 16, 13, so if you're taking notes, you can, um, you can jot that down, Romans 16, 13. Rufus is, <clears throat> is mentioned, and it is believed that it is the same Rufus who was the son of Simon, uh, who was here. Now, what this tells us, it sounds as if Mark, who wrote this, got to know Simon because he calls him by name, mentions his sons in the text. I mean, how else would he have known this guy from the crowd, right? So it sounds like he got to know this guy, and this guy eventually came into the church, and so did his kids. That's what we can interpret from, you know, just reading later in Romans 16, 13, if it's true that this is the same Rufus, son of Simon, that, that was mentioned here. This experience appears to have changed Simon's life and his family's life. You see, Simon, here's what's interesting, though. Simon did not willingly take up Jesus' cross and carry it. He didn't see Jesus stumble in front of him and say, ooh, I need to help him with that. 
the Roman soldiers forced him to do it. Here's the point I want to make. Maybe that's your story. You've heard me say this before. I had a drug problem growing up. My mom drugged me to church, drugged me and my brother to church all the time. We were forced, in a sense, to go to church. Now, we love going to church, okay? We just, I always have. Um, but maybe it's a similar story that you have. In, in, in a sense, you were, quote, I'm putting in air quotes here, you were forced to go to church. Maybe even now, uh, you know, your, your friend or your spouse, maybe they forced you to come to church. But at some point, you discover Jesus. That's what it sounds like happens here. If, if, we, if we are interpreting this correctly, where the Rufus in Romans 16, 13, Rufus, son of Simon, is the same person, it sounds like here there was an encounter with Jesus because Mark got to know them. He mentioned them by name. So even though they were forced into this encounter with Jesus, along the way they made a decision that they were going to follow Jesus. You know, it's just as important of a decision. Uh, I've said this, even though I grew up in the church, my mom drugged me to church every time, literally every time the doors were, it was very rare if we missed church. But you've heard me say this before, had I not made the decision to follow Jesus myself, I would be doomed to the same hell that the worst sinner was because I did not make Jesus Lord of my life, even though I was forced to be in church. Uh, I love this statement too. Just because we sit in church does not make us a Christian any more than us sitting in our garage makes us a car. That, all, that whole idea of forced. But at some point, this family discovered Jesus. If you were forced to come to church at any point, pressured to come, recognize that the opportunity was given so that you could make your own choice to accept or reject Jesus, the Son of God. And that's what happened with Simon. He accepted Jesus. I don't know if he had heard about Jesus before. I, the scripture doesn't tell us that specifically. But if you think about it, here he saw a man who apparently to him was a criminal. A man who was defeated, a man who was being punished, quote, for his crime, just as a casual observer. But there was an experience that he had with Jesus that changed everything. It changed everything. So, by the way, Stevie, congratulations, you guys, on your new baby. It's exciting. <laughs> we love to hear babies cry. Absolutely, you can give them a hand and love you guys. That's so awesome. Sorry, Aunt Jessica, but nobody does as good as Mama. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at a Roman centurion who is a hardened skeptic. Mark 15, 39 says this, When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Now, we've mentioned his story a little bit before, but I want to go a little bit deeper. This man turned from a hardened executioner and an unbeliever. Remember, they knew the charges against Jesus. They mocked him as king. They had heard these stories. But he, he came from this hardened unbeliever to somebody who believed Jesus throughout the course of the scripture there. Something about Jesus' death was different than all the hundreds of crucifixions that he had been a part of. As we studied a few weeks ago, he was a part of a lot of crucifixions. But something was different about this one. As we read in the book of John, by the way, chapter 19, it's all around in that area. I'm just going to summarize today. 
uh, with this, but if you're taking notes, you can read this in John. Um, there was something different about today. Jesus, well, actually, Mark 15, 39, when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly is the son of God. That's where it begins in 15, goes through 16. But here's what was different. He noticed that Jesus was meek and he didn't fight back. He noticed that Jesus prayed for the executioners. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He told a repentant criminal, Jesus did, that he would be with him that day in paradise. So the guy that's beside of him on the cross, he said, ask for forgiveness. Let, remember me when you enter to your kingdom. Jesus said, you will be with me today. The Roman soldiers seeing all these things. He was responsible to, to watch over Jesus. He also noticed that the sky turned black at midday and an earthquake happened. He was seeing all these things go on. Something was different about that day, and the Roman soldier began to take notice of what was different. Then Jesus cried out, it is finished. He heard all of these things happening. Now, I want to talk about this phrase real fast, it is finished, out in John 19.30. Because when you and I hear this idea of it is finished, when this Roman soldier centurion heard the phrase it is finished, we think when something is finished, it's over, right? You finish a test in school, it's done. Um, when uh, you, know, you have a project at work and, and you finally finished, you're like, whew, boy, I'm glad that's over. Um, anything like that, you're just, it, it is finished. Or if you watch boxing or anything like that, when, when the fighter finally gets knocked out, they say it is finished, in other words, he's done. This was not an acceptance of defeat because of death. That's not why Jesus cried out, it is finished. Jesus was not saying that it's over his life. When you research that word, and actually I looked in um, a couple different things I'll refer to here in just a moment, but it is finished meant this, the battle has ended, let the celebration begin. I looked up in the Strong's Concordance, it is finished, that word finished means accomplish, to make an end, to fill up, to pay. Boy, think about the deep meaning of that, our sins were paid for at that moment, the atonement had happened, the atonement for our sins, what does that mean? We are forgiven of our sins. Jesus was saying, it is accomplished, the work that I have come to do has ended, the debt has been paid for sin. Vine's Dictionary, which is another great study guide, says fulfilled and accomplished. The mission was accomplished. So the Roman soldier would have understood this in that particular language. Not that it is finished and my life is done. No, it's just beginning. Life is just beginning. And so this Roman soldier says this, surely this man was the son of God. He made a decision at that moment even though he was the one who was responsible for overseeing all of this, for making sure that Jesus was beaten, that he was uh, nailed to the cross, making sure that he was dying, he said, surely this man is the Son of God. Where so many people ran away from Jesus at this point, we see this Roman soldier making a confession that this man was the Son of God. There have been many skeptics since Jesus first entered our world. We've studied them over the last few weeks. 
if you're into these people, you can write down their names, but these are just some um, very intellectual type of authors who have written books to prove uh, the Easter, prove Jesus, really, um, as if the Bible, you know, is not enough. For some people, honestly, it's not. We're skeptics. Lee Strobel, S-T-R-O-B-E-L, he wrote the book, A Case for Easter. He was an atheist whose wife became a Christian. Can you imagine how those conversations at dinner went? He saw her change for good and began a two-year study to disprove her faith. Can you imagine the tension in that household for two years as he was trying to disprove her faith? Something very real had happened in her life. But he saw the change. He eventually had to decide if he would accept or reject Jesus. And after his two-year study, this skeptic, this atheist, became a Christian. He came to Jesus, and he wrote A Case for Easter. How many of you have heard of Josh McDowell? You've heard that name before. He's been on the radio. Um, he's, a, he's a teacher. Um, anyway, he's written several things. He wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He also denied Jesus before he came to Christ. His friends tried to evangelize him. Let me tell you this, church, never give up on telling your, your friends about Jesus and your family. Even if they continue to tell you that you're crazy, that you don't know what you're talking about, that you believe in magical fairy dust. I mean, I've, I've heard people say that. You believe in Jesus? Well, I believe in unicorns. I mean, really, all this, this talk is current talk today. But Josh wrote evidence that demands a verdict. He denied Jesus. His friends kept digging in. So what he did, he studied, he flew to Israel and participated in archaeological digs, he researched all these things. You know, thank God for people who are intellects, by the way, who don't know Jesus, who say, I'm, gonna, I'm setting out to disprove you guys, are, you people are crazy. But we know the rest of the story, if you know about Josh McDowell, he finally came to the conclusion that Jesus was and is real. What will you do with Jesus? You've made him savior of your life. And if you haven't, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. But to the believers, I want to ask you this. Is he Lord of your life? Has there been enough evidence to where he guides your steps? Didn't we just sing that song, lamp unto my feet, light unto my path? Does Jesus really light your way or are you still doing it? Is Jesus the lamp unto your feet, or are you shining your own ideas on what needs to happen? Jesus is the light of the world. I can't be. My heart is deceptive. My heart will deceive me, even though I think I'm doing the right thing. Even though I think I'm following after the Lord, I can still be deceived which is why I must come back to the Word of God, which is why I must surround myself with people who hear God's voice and can speak into my life. Amen? What will you do with Jesus? Will you accept Him or will you reject Him? I'm going to have Miss Vicki come just for a few moments, and we're going to close out this portion of the service. We have a dedication we're going to do in just a moment, but I want to give opportunity for you just to take a few moments, you and God. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, I want to tell you how you can do that. 
as your Lord, as your Lord first, I'm sorry, as your Savior first of all. And that is you confess of sin. Jesus, I have sinned against you. And I need a Savior. And I've been hearing about Jesus, that he is the only way, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And I acknowledge, I accept that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And you can make that your prayer this morning. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was crucified, was buried, was raised on the third day, and he is God's son sitting at the right hand of his father today. That's how you can become a believer today. For the rest of you, the rest of us, it may be, God, I've, I've made you sa savior of my life, but I really haven't handed the reins of my life over to you. And I want to make a commitment to do that today. Will you pray that prayer? Even if it's just an area or two of your life, you may be doing good in so many areas, but there's just an area or two of your life. God, I haven't made you Lord of my relationship. I haven't made you Lord of my finances. I haven't made you Lord of my career and the call. I haven't even made you Lord of the things that I do here at the church or in a ministry outside of the church. I just kind of do it. God, will you forgive me? you would be Lord. If you prayed either of those prayers today, I want you to let, let somebody know. If you, if you receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior today, please let me know that. I want to know. You can let one of the elders know as well that, man, today I gave my life to Jesus. Because we have a, a Bible that we want to give you so that you can begin your spiritual journey with the Lord. And if you made Jesus Lord of your life today, not just Savior, but Lord of your life today, tell somebody beside of you, you know what? There's been a couple areas I've been struggling with, and today I made a decision to hand it over to Jesus. Will you help me in this? And get some accountability. God, you are good to us. And just like all the people proclaimed on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Lord, save Praise God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God, we do that today. We accept you for who you said you are. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who was crucified, who was buried, and who was risen, who is risen, and who is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us today. In Jesus' name. Can we give the Lord a hand clap this morning for what he has done for us? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mike, you can get your family and come on in. We're going to have our dedication this morning. You got the email this week about the baby dedication that we're going to, uh, to have. And so the Lightners asked if they could come in at the end of this service and the beginning of the second service. And I said, absolutely, we can make that happen. You know how uh, these things can, can go with babies. And I'm so excited about this. And uh, I'm going to have my wife join me up here. All these precious babies. Are we allowed to take one? You can take Who's one this one? This is Wyatt. This is Wyatt. You're gonna. You want Wyatt, honey? Oh, you're gonna sure. hold the microphone. He's on the other side of you. All right. You're gonna get um, Jackson. Okay. This is Wyatt that I have. Stasha has Jackson. 
Notice that Wyatt is happy and content with me. Jackson was starting to put up a little fuss. That's different. So normally it's the other way around. <laughs> well, um, here at Abundant Life, by Ellicate, Papa's here. Nope, she's not going for Papa. <laughs> Wait a minute, where is he? <laughs> there he is. At Abundant Life, um, really within Foursquare, we, um, I'll read the scripture here in just a moment, but we dedicate babies to the Lord. And here's the reason why. Can you go to mommy so I can go read the Bible real quick? All right. Um, here's why we do this. We don't do here within Foursquare, we don't do um, infant baptisms or things like that. Uh, the reason being, we, we believe that that's a choice that the individual has to make once you're saved. Then um, at that point, you can make the decision to be baptized. But the story of dedication comes back here from Hannah. She was praying for a son because she was not able to have babies. And I'll make this quick, guys. It says, And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer, it says, And give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and his hair will never be cut. So you guys don't have to do that. Okay, that's an Old Testament Nazarite vow, but you guys don't have to do that. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Now, Eli thought that she was drunk, and then he, she told him the story. And it goes on to say, When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle, and they brought along their bull for a sacrifice. That's how they did it back in that day before Jesus came. Um, and so at this point, she said, Hey, uh, priest, Eli, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I'm the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me a boy. He has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. So that's what uh, Mike and Melanie are doing today. First of all, they have made a decision in their own hearts to make Jesus Lord and Savior of their life. Amen? Amen. He is Lord and Savior of their life. That's the first commitment and dedication. And so beyond that, what they are doing is now they are bringing their kids here, and they're saying, we are going to raise our kids in the admonition of the Lord or in the ways of the Lord by your life, by your teaching, by letting us help you out. You know whose primary responsibility these three children are? Theirs. Do you know who gets to, long, get to join in? Those people back there. Do you know who else gets to join in? We do. <laughs> we do. So Stasha has a quick name study she's going to give for these babies. And um, then we'll, Mr. Stowe will pray over them. So as parents, we get the opportunity to speak prophetically over our children when we name them. Um, you may not have realized that when you name your children um, or when you did name your children, um, but each name has meaning. And so um, we love to do this name study. I, I use a book called The Name Book and it gives us the um, definition of each name. And um, you know, when you speak your kid's name, you're speaking prophetically over them. My Gabriel is Gabriel Allen, and his name means brave and harmonious. So when he's fighting with his brother and I say, Gabriel Allen, I'm speaking prophetically over him. Allen means harmonious, at peace. And so I'm calling that out in him. And so uh, with these two boys, uh, Jackson, Hugh, and Wyatt, Michael, um, I got to get to the right file. Um, we're going to go with Jackson first. It's alphabetical order. So Wyatt, sorry, but that's. 
how it's going to be. Jackson's older too. Okay, good. So, um, <laughs> uh, Jackson is um, the the literal meaning or the inherent meaning is son of Jack, um, but his spiritual connotation is grace. Um, James three sixteen is the spiritual uh, the scripture that goes with his name, is but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then it is peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and hypocrisy. You know when you put those two words together, gracious and um, I'm sorry I have to do you hold on. You got it. happy. So actually, um, the scripture for, for um, Jackson is, Psalm, is in Psalms, and it's, he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Hugh is Old German, and it is, uh, the literal meaning is thoughtful, and the um, spiritual connotation is wise, and then the verse for Hugh is found in James, the one I just read. And when I think it, when I put those two together, wise and gracious... So um, when you think of, of someone who is full of grace, you think of someone who is kind mm-hmm. and who will see past surface things. Um, and I, I, I believe that for Jackson, that he's going to be a gracious person, but it's going to be backed up by wisdom. So not grace that he'll let people take advantage of him in a way that he's just going to be so nice and always let his brother have his way. There's going to be wisdom behind it. And he's going to carry, be walking in grace and wisdom that will bring others um, along with him and we'll see uh, lives transformed through uh, those, those characteristics that'll be drawn out in him. Um, so then Wyatt Michael, Wyatt is old French and the literal meaning is um, little warrior, um, but his spiritual connotation is immovable. Wow. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Michael is Hebrew. Who is like God is the literal meaning. And the spiritual connotation is esteemed. Exodus uh, 15, 11, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. Um, immovable and esteemed. So why it might be your strong-willed one. <laughs> so <laughs> is that true already? <laughs> yes. So um, he's immovable. When he makes up his mind, his feet will be planted firmly in his decision. Um, the the, uh, the the job you get as a parent is to shape that and not break it. God has put that strong will in him uh, for a purpose. And um, even in his, um, what we would call stubbornness, you remind yourself that it's immovable. (laughs) So when you have to say, Wyatt, Michael, you're saying you're you're immovable. I get this and I'm going to shape this because you're going to be highly esteemed. And so um, it's a good trait. It's a good thing. And so as you raise these boys, um, recognizing that that 
that, that strength in him. That's a strength in him. <laughs> so good luck with that. I have one like that. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, um, this morning, Mr. Stowe is going to come and pray. It's, you know, it, it's interesting how the schedule worked out. We usually rotate the, the people who are doing the announcements in the prayer time, and it uh, fell on Mr. Stowe's Sunday, but it's no, not, not an accident, I believe, that it happened because, now let me, let me phrase this correctly, Mr. Stowe is partly responsible for these, um, partly, so he's to blame, okay. It is. So when, when Mr. Stowe prayed a while back, well, Mr. Stowe, you tell the story. Honey, will you give Mr. Stowe your microphone? I have no story to tell. And Melanie has this story. So when we prayed over Ella's one-year heart anniversary, um, Mr. Stowe prayed for siblings and proceeded to not say sibling. And he looked right at me and said, siblings. So thank you for this bonus. Mike, Mike, pay attention. <laughs> no more. Father God, this morning for these two young people, for their willingness to serve and to listen, to seek after you, to me that's going to be the key of the success of these two young men. We pray that they would be attentive to the things of God and that they would grow up to become men of God Lord, that we would take our responsibility, that we would be critical, but we would be supportive. And Lord, we just love these two parents, and we love these two kids. We just pray that as you work this out in their lives and in their family, it's profitable for you. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We could give them a hand. Absolutely. We have, Doug, can you take those blankets out real quick? Children, and uh, we like to do this. She prayed over them as she made them, so aren't those beautiful? So thank you so much, for Miss Christine, for making those. Um, but every time, you know, they, whether you hang it in their room, hang it over their crib, or wrap them in it, whichever you prefer to do with that, just know that those have been prayed over, and that's just a little token of love from your church family. We love you guys. We're going to dismiss from here, and here's the reason, because I have a baby and I get to hold him for a while. So consider your handshakes and yourself hugged, but you are dismissed. We love you. Have a great rest of your Sunday.